Great. Thanks, Peter. Good morning, guys. Welcome to Hiawatha Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for coming today. If you're visiting especially, glad you're with us. Um, we have a guest preacher today. Josh Williams is back. He preached here 14 months ago, if you guys were here for that. Maybe you remember his face. Um, but Josh is a dear friend of mine. He's a, a dear brother and partner in the gospel. He's another church planner in the cities with uh, one of our networks, Acts 29. So we kind of got connected through that network uh, a little while ago now. Been hanging out for, for some time, talking church planning and preaching, all kinds of stuff. It's been fun. Um, but Josh, so our, all the Hiawatha pastors were gone all week at a visioning and, and planning retreat, and so he's here to serve us at least uh, as pastors. We have like a sermon, the burden of writing the sermon over our head all week. We could focus on other stuff, which is super nice. Um, but really just kind of be here to, to be another voice as well. We value doing this. Uh, you might know this as a church. We value doing this once a year, maybe once every other year to have someone in from outside Hiawatha to preach, to just say the same stuff, to preach the Bible um, in the same way we do, maybe just with a different fresh angle or different voice, but uh, to preach the same gospel. Uh, we believe as Christians there's one gospel, uh, there's one faith, one baptism, to quote, to quote Ephesians, where is that, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 3. Um, there's, there's only one, and so to, there's diver, diverse ways of like maybe uh, living it out or unpacking it, talking about sometimes, but uh, Josh, I think, is going to be a reflection of that today, that we are just one little uh, speck, you know, in, our local, in a local church sense. We're a, a small reflection um, of the global church, and that's a good thing. We're not meant to be big. We're just a small little uh, thing here, uh, but there's, there's something much bigger going on in the world, and even right in our city. And Josh, uh, you can maybe share more about your, where you're at in your church here in a second, but um, come on up, and I'll pray for you, and we'll let Josh go here, so. God, thank you for today. Thanks for joining us here, wherever we're coming from, whether we're, um, maybe some people, it's their first time here today. Uh, we thank you for um, this moment. Thank you for a love that, that never ends, like we just sang in that song, that is deep and all-encompassing and that has implications for this very physical space right here this morning. I implications for our city, implications for this very time, this moment in our lives, this moment in history. Uh, what you did 2,000 years ago is that real, that historical, that factual, that powerful. And I just pray for Josh that you'd help him to preach, help him to clarify the Bible, sometimes veiled meaning, uh, to uh, help us to hear uh, just a, a hint of your voice call out to us, saying things like, this is who I am. And this is what I've done for you. And this is how much I love you. And so just give him that ability, which not, no, no person has. It only comes from the Spirit. So help us to hear, to have ears to hear and eyes to see um, and uh, to learn something. But maybe just more importantly, to just abide a little bit more in you today uh, through the gospel that we hear heralded. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Can you guys, I can hear myself so you can hear me. Um, hi, how's it going? Yeah, Chris, uh, just thanks so much, Chris. Chris is not just a friend, he's a mentor. And so um, often, I, I mean, I just dream about looking like him, you know? And so my hope is that one day I get, like, I can like, kind of shrink down a little bit, grow some hair. I would, I would totally trade that off because I'm balding. I mean, he's got cool hair. I mean, you got to pass through cool hair. That's really cool. Um, I'm not kidding. He's got cool hair. <laughs> it's like the first thing I noticed about him. I was like, dude, that guy's got cool hair. And he's older than me, and I don't have hair. Um, anyways, uh, Thanks for having me. I just want to say thank you so much for supporting our church because um, a lot of what you guys are, a lot of your guys' support helps us to be on mission where we're at. And the, one of the ways we think about church planting is that we're local missions. Um, there's international missions. You can go overseas and, and proclaim the gospel to people who don't know the gospel. But there's a big need here in America. There's a big need even in our city. There are people who don't know Jesus, right? The way that we define unreached people is people who are not hearing um, the gospel and, and a gospel-centered message, a gospel-centered way of looking at the scriptures. Um, and so whenever you guys are supporting us, you, you are support, supporting local missionaries. Um, in a sense, I tell our church all the time, hey, we are a team of missionaries seeking to reach um, the city of West St. Paul and the surrounding cities. And so thank you so much for doing that. Uh, I just want to share a little bit about what's been happening over the past couple of years since you guys have, have been supporting us. Um, March 21st really for us celebrated our first year uh, as, a, as a church, which is pretty cool. And on March 21st, we celebrated our, our year by receiving our first crew of 20 members. That's them up there, um, including myself and, um, and my wife there. My wife is holding that, that fresh new bundle of baby right there in that yellow shirt. Um, you'll see a picture in a second. But it was really cool because uh, Pastor Spencer, he was able to come and he preached the message on membership for us. Our people loved that. It was really cool to hear other people, like, like Chris says, say the same thing, but people who have been in the trenches before us. 
And then our, um, our sending pastor from, from Christ Redeemer Church, um, he did the first, he did the initiation of members, and uh, there's not much that initiation process, um, but also the first installment of me as they're like the first elder of the church, and it was really cool. Um, there's some really fun stories to share, I think, you know, for, for Restoration Hope Church, uh, for, their, for our church, there have been people at our church that within the past 10 years, this is the first time they've been a part of a church. Uh, first time they've been a part of a church in a long time, and not only that, but they're hearing about God in a new way because Jesus makes them clearer. And we're going to see that actually today in our sermon. But Jesus has really opened their eyes. We preach gospel center just like you guys. Um, and Jesus clarifies the scriptures. He's clarifying who he is. And because of that, people are seeing and, and experiencing God in a whole new way. And that's really cool. Um, one of the ways that's happening is we've had, we've, had, um, we've had some people who have had a past with drugs. Like I would, I would say five years ago, we, we had a guy, he came and he was, I mean, he was on meth. You could tell. And he actually shared with us that he, had a hist- he has a history with it. And he wanted to come back because he felt accepted. I mean, what, what a great thing for someone who comes from, let's say, a, a, a group of people who would normally not be accepted because of their background, and yet he's accepted by the people of God. I mean, isn't that, isn't that an amazing picture of what Christ people ought to be doing and ought to be? They look like Christ. Um, it's really cool. Another fun story. I didn't share this last, uh, last or not last Sunday, this Sunday, last service. Um, I didn't share this last service because I forgot, remembered. Um, but we had, we had a lady come in, and she, she has a past history of alcohol, and um, it was kind of like cool and sad at the same time because like, she's telling these kids in the back to like pay attention. But like in the middle of the sermon, like at, not the middle, at the end of the sermon, it started, like, it started causing like an argument. And so literally at the end of the sermon, I, I'm like, I'm praying, and as soon as I'm praying, I'm turning my mic off, walking off stage and going to address the issue. Like literally grabbing this kid by the shoulder, like, let's get out of here, and let's deal with this. But it was really cool because it was an opportunity to d- disciple, right? I mean, she's sitting there telling the kids, like, hey, you've got to listen. And just to be able to step aside and say, hey, I agree with you, but man, how does the gospel teach us how to deal with these situations? And so we have a lot of stories like that where we're just, we're able to disciple. And it's really fun. I, I, someone was telling me it's really, like, they're really encouraged by what we're doing. I'd say it's really fun to be a part of what God's doing. And my hope is that that's, that's for you too. And so let's, let's get started here and let's transition into our sermon Um, let's read the text and then I'll jump in. We're in John 7, verses 37 through 39, and if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. If you don't, if you'd rather look at digital, amen. It's not sinful for you to look at your screen. I just want to say that. As long as it's not your idol, that's a problem. Um, Let's look at it together. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When he heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some, them, some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is my family. Um, it's my wife, my two sons and daughter. Um, the far left, my daughter, that's really picturesque of Flowey. She's either laughing really loud or shoving her mouth with like carbs, uh, mostly in a form of sugar, um, even though we know carbs turn into sugar, but that's a different topic. Um, but my son on the far right, that's Barrett, he's always like that. He's either happy or sad or mad, but he's, he, he's full of life, and um, I love Bear. He, he bears his name, no pun intended. It's my wife there, full of life. She wrangles the whole crew. Praise God for her. And uh, the middle one is Soren. He's my oldest. And ever since Soren was little, he's always been, I mean, he's still little. <laughs> it's funny, like kids, like, like 
like at this age, you're like, back when I was like younger, I'm like, you're still young. Um, but Soren, my son, he's always been curious since the age of three. And uh, he's at this age now where he like, he wants to know how things work. And, and so he was like, dad, how does this work? And then he'll go around and tell someone what I told him. So I've got to be careful what I tell him, right? But he has this thing about him where he just wants to like, to share or teach what I tell him. He takes what his father says and he goes and shares it. And so one of the things that he's like, been really interested in is Settlers of Catan. And I, I mean, I love that game. My wife doesn't like it because I love it so much. And what that means is I just destroy her in the game. <laughs> but he, he wanted to learn. And, um, and he knows how to play. I mean, he's not like a master. I mean, you can even see his face. He's a little upset because I was whooping him in the game. But, um, <clears throat> but, but he wanted to learn. And so anytime we play the game now and we have somebody come over, he's like, can I teach them? Can I, can I explain it? And I'm like, yes, son, you can explain it. But he has this joy that anything his father gives him, he wants to share. And I think, I think you guys have been going through John, the book of John, in chapter 7 specifically. You guys have been there for a little bit. And, and Jesus kind of has the same kind of cadence and tempo about himself. That he, the father has revealed some things to him, and he, he wants to share. He, like, he loves what the father has revealed to him, and he wants to share. And Jesus is constantly bringing up this theme of the source. And the source is his father. The father is always, like, the father is always the source of where he gets his stuff from. And it's never, really, it's never really just simply his message, it's his father's message. And so the father is a source. And um, just to kind of jog your guys' memory, here are some examples where Jesus says that and does that. He says, so Jesus answered, no, sorry, John says this. Um, so Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but it is his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God whether, or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Next set of verses, verses 28 through 29. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. Right, and so each one of these cases, Jesus, he is, he is saying you, if you know me, you know the Father. Like if if you, if you want to know who God is, look at me, the Son, and, and you'll see the Father, right? And so Jesus, he, what he's saying is essentially he's, he reveals the Father to us. He's, he, and, and, and so when Jesus reveals the Father, this really comes from the Father. The Father has shared love to the Son, and the Son is sharing that love with us, right? And this is a beautiful dynamic between the Father and the Son. And so one of the things you realize when you're thinking about what Jesus is saying is that the Father is the source, his Father is the source of what Jesus does and reveals. Everything Jesus does, everything he says, it comes from the Father, right? But the Father, one of the things you like, it's really cool about their, their relationship is like they're always pointing at each other, right? So like Jesus wants you to know about the Father so you can experience the love of the Father. The Father's pointing at the Son so that you can experience the love the, the, love the Son has for the Father. And they're like always pointing at each other. Every time Jesus says something, he's revealing something about God, his Father, and himself. And that's, that's exactly what's stirring some of the commotion we see in chapter 7. And so today we're going we're gonna to see some of those themes continue to develop because the thing they're wondering about is, who is Jesus? Like, who's this character? Like, he's saying these things that seem like mysterious and weird. And, and so who is he, right? And you see some development of what's happening here. And we're going we're gonna to see one more development in that, of that in chapter 7. And um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come in a way that's going to make us look at Jesus in a fresher way. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three points to walk through the sermon or through this passage, and here they are. The source, the growing clarity, and the deceived. The source, the growing clarity, and the deceived. We're going to start high, and then we're going to, like, the last point just looks, sounds like doomsday, doesn't it? So we're just going to end low. I promise I'm going to bring you back up with crypto. So let's look at the first one, the source. And so one thing Jesus is always doing also, because I just said always earlier, so there's a lot of alwayses. But one of the things Jesus is always doing is he's, he's, he's pointing back to the Old Testament. He's like picking these, not picking and choosing, but there's a lot in the Old Testament that's, that's pointing back to Jesus and that we don't really realize unless Jesus says it, right? So we kind of like, when we're reading the scriptures right now in the 21st century, it's kind of like a cheat code. Like, there's a lot that we know, right? And so you're probably in this room, you probably come with a lot, knowing a lot of the Scriptures, maybe, or you come with knowing a little, knowing very little of the Scriptures, right? But Jesus is always pointing to himself and showing how he fulfills the Scriptures. And fulfillment just simply means both clarity and completion. Jesus clarifies the Scriptures, kind of like, like on, a, on a cloudy day, like Jesus is the sun that comes in and pushes the clouds away so that we can see. 
Or, or a better way to put it is like the Old Testament is like a shadow, and it, and it points to Jesus. The Old Testament is a big, huge shadow of the God-man Jesus. And so most of, the, most of Jesus' conversation has been during the Feast of Booths, and this is one of the things that, that's pointing to Jesus, right? And so Chris has been talking about the Feast of Booths um, over the past couple of weeks, but just to jog your memory, it's really a celebration uh, commemorating and celebrating the time God delivered Israel from the greatest enemy, Egypt, right, from, the, from enslavement. And so they're, they're camping out in booths, which is kind of like tents, and they're doing it to kind of bring them back to the time when they were in the wilderness as a people, and they're remembering, hey, like, this is, this is what it was like. Like, after we were delivered, God was caring for us, watching over us. And, and they were wandering in a wilderness to the promised land that God was bringing them. And so that was like a trigger to, rem- to remind them of God's salvation and what he had done. And so the key thing I want you to remember that it was a time of remembering. Remembering is important in the scriptures. And so hold on to that. But in our passage, we're at the end of the feast now. And it says that it's going to say that in our verses here. But we're at the end, and Jesus... He says this statement at the end, and it kind of like, kind of triggers some things in their memory here, and he's going to speak to that. And so let's look at verses 37 through 38, 39 really. It says this, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit with whom, uh, with those whom believed in him, were to receive as for as yet the spirit has not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so the thing about the feast is that it's actually meant to remind them not just of simply what God did in the past, but of salvation. Right? What salvation looks like, what the way they were saved, and which way they were saved. And and so it was not just to remind them of the way that we were saved, but also that God's the source of that salvation. He's the one who delivered them. There's nothing that they did. God did everything. And in what Jesus said, he, he's actually pointing to himself as a source, right? And that's really interesting because the whole time he's pointing to his father saying, hey, he's the source. Like everything I'm doing comes from him. But now he's saying, I'm the source. I'm the source. And so in verse 38, <clears throat> he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Whoever believes in me. You see that shift now? He's pointing to himself. And he bases what he says on the scriptures, now, it's not just simply like what, his, what he's gotten from the Father. Now he's like, hey, the scriptures have been talking about me, right? I'm saying this because the scriptures have been pointing to me, and I want you to look at me. So most scholars believe that when Jesus says this, right, out of the heart of his heart will flow uh, rivers of living water, that uh, this comes from a couple of places in scripture, right? There's a little bit of a disagreement. We're not going to get into the weeds, but most agree it comes from Ezekiel 47, where there's this image of, of a temple. So God... God, uh, God leads a prophet Ezekiel into a vision, and he shows him this temple. And from the threshold of the doors of the temple is a river flowing, right? And so there's a river flowing from the temple doors, and Ezekiel is led by God to, to measure the waters, right? And so, and so the, first place, the first place he measures, it's like it's ankle deep. No problemo, right? We're light treading water, right? But then he leads him further, measures, boom, now he's knee deep. And then he draws him a little further, and then now he's waist deep. We're getting a little chilly. Everybody knows that waist level is a little chilly. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, ooh, it's cold. Kind of like, I don't want to do this. I think maybe his water's warm, maybe. But, uh, but then the next one is like, hey, now, now I'm treading in water. I'm swimming in this. I'm swimming in this water. And all around, he sees like, this river give life to everything around him. He sees a tree on the side, and it's like, it's blooming. He sees plants, and they're blooming. He sees, like, freshwater fish. And I don't know, like, why freshwater, particularly because, like, in Florida, we saltwater fish. So there's life there in saltwater fish, right? Um, we, never get in the, we never got in, the, like, the lakes there because there's, croc, there's, like, alligators. So, like, when I get in water here, I'm like, I'm nervous because uh, is there, like, something going to get me, right? So there's always crocodiles in Florida. But but in the scriptures, there's this thing about salt where it either gives life or it kind of kills something, right? And so the idea is that in this fresh water, this, this water, it gives life to everything it touches. And so what's the deal? Like, what's in the water? And so in John 2, Jesus refers to himself as a temple. Um, he refers to himself as a temple. The greater temple is here, right? Destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up, is what he says, right? And in the Old Testament, the temple is where God was. Do you remember that? 
anywhere the temple was, or, or the tabernacle. Before Solomon built the temple, the tabernacle, anywhere the tabernacle was, God was, right? And Jesus is saying, I'm the temple. What's he saying? He's the temple. Not only is he, is he the temple, in him resides God. And not just simply in him as if he's like this like inanimate thing. No, he is God incarnate. He is God himself. He's God in the flesh. I heard one guy say, he's God in a bod. Yeah, okay. But what Jesus is saying is that he, he's the temple that Ezekiel is referring to in that image, right? Looking back. And from him, what? Flows life. Jesus is saying, look at me, life flows from me, right? So in John, in, John, uh, in, John, uh, in verse 39, he says that the river of, of flowing living water is talking about the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus is the temple. Life comes from him. And he's saying this life that, that I would give you to drink it, it's, it's my spirit. It's, it's, it's basically my spirit and you, and you will never thirst. You will have, like, you will have a, a, a flowing river of water where, in which you can constantly drink from, and that's, that's, that's me. That's my spirit. It'll be in you. And so the image is Jesus, that Jesus is giving of the Jews is he's saying, essentially, they're thirsty people. Like, they are. Man, they're, they're thirst crazy. And the image he's giving is kind of like, kind of like reminds us of John 3, right? It says, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, you must be what? Jesus? Just kidding. <laughs> born again, right? You must be born again. And the idea is that if you have to be born again, then that, that means like again, that means you're dead. You're unborn, right? And the idea is that like you're, 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 like the image is this, is that like people are like dry, lifeless deserts. They're kind of like a dead, dead corpse, right? And if you see a body decay over a long period of time at the end. It looks so dry, it needs, it doesn't just simply need water, right? I mean, you never say to a dead corpse, like, dude, you need a drink. You never say that, right? But you need, like, no, you need life. Like, life is not here. And so maybe you remember this, but when God delivered Israel from Egypt, um, they were in the wilderness. And the first thing they complained about was not just food, but water. Where are we going to get water? We should have we gone back. I mean, the first thing they say is, like, we, we wish we had onions. And I know that's, like, bad, like, that you shouldn't say that here in Minnesota. Like, you guys don't eat onions, right? But, like, no, like, they, they, they want water. And so they're like, give us water. They're complaining about it. And so God tells Moses to strike a rock, and water gushes out of this rock. And who do you think that rock is? That rock is Jesus. Because on the cross, Jesus not just simply dies for you, but you remember, it's going to say this in John 19, though, that his side is pierced. And from his body comes blood and water. And so, in a sense, in a picture way, Jesus is struck for you by the Father so that you might have living water. So you might drink of him. And this is, this is a shadow of Christ. And so when Jesus makes this offer to come drink, he is saying three things. He is saying the source of life comes from him. Second, that this life is the Holy Spirit who will not only give your thirsty, dead soul life, but it will also sustain it. I mean, you notice about yourself, like, you have to continually drink water. <clears throat> like, if you really want to be hydrated, fun fact, you should drink, your, you should drink the amount of ounces in, in body weight. Fun fact. So, go do that. Go do that math. Um, but he'll sustain you. Like, it's not dependent on you, it's dependent on him. And he puts that in you, so it's like a, like a constantly, like, bubbling brook, right? And, and like, if you live like where close to where I live, you don't drink that water because 3M happened. And so now then like the Holy Spirit's kind of like this constant filter. Sorry. The third thing you learn though is that life is given to those who believe in him. Who believe in him. Not in their hydro flask. And so application. This is, this is like, this meets us relationally and missionally, right? So relationally, this means that Jesus, when he puts his spirit in you, you're kind of like a satellite of like a satellite temple. That means like wherever you go, the Spirit of Christ is, and wherever the Spirit of Christ is, there Christ and the Father is. And so wherever Christ and the Father is, there the kingdom of God is. So the kingdom of God is in this building. Notice I said in this building, not the building. And that means wherever you go, you take the kingdom of God with you. And so in a missional sense, that means that wherever you go, you, you have this message like Christ is saying, hey, are you thirsty? I, I know of one who's offering you living water. And if he were to drink, he would, he would put this living water in you that would just flow like a river. So I want you to notice something about what Jesus, what Jesus says about him and the offer that he's giving. Notice the connection between belief 
versus knowledge. We'll talk more about this later, but the Pharisees, they make a big deal about knowledge. And this is what they say in verse 49. It says, but this crowd that does not know the law, look, 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 it, look it, does not know the law, is what? It's accursed. So knowledge is connected to being accursed. You see that? It says right there. But not just, so if, if they don't keep the law, James will tell you this, Old Testament will tell you this too, because James, you know, he's grabbing from the Old Testament, that if you don't do the law, if you don't obey it fully, you're cursed. So much as if you break one law, you break them all. And you're cursed. You're condemned. And so Jesus, Jesus says, though, belief, right? So for the Pharisee, obedience to the law, if you don't do it, you're condemned. But then Jesus says, belief. And so Jesus in his offer is, is a big contrast, right? It's belief in that God has come down is a, is a thing he wants you to believe in, right? That he's descended. But for the Pharisees, you must ascend. You see that? that if you're going to be in relationship with God, for the Pharisees, you must ascend. You must know. And if you don't know as you ought to know, then you're condemned. But for Jesus, he has descended. He is saying, hey, come to me. Believe in me. Believe in what I have done. So one is about your ability to attain. And if you don't attain, then you're in trouble. But for the other, which is Jesus, it's about, it's about what he has done to give you the offer of living water from himself. So quick application. <clears throat> the way you attain Jesus' offer, right, it is not by believing that you must ascend and no more. Huge issue in our generation, right? Huge issue. It's not, about, it's not about knowing, right? So it's, it's, it's believing that he has ascended, that God has come, he, that he has descended, and that God has come to you because you couldn't know enough. And so there's, there's not enough that you can know that you, and there's not enough that you can do that's going to bring God into relationship with you. Because if it was really about knowing, then you've got to continually know and strive. And then if it's about knowing, then what you know brings you closer to God. Right? And if we're just going to be real, like not everybody has the same IQ. So that means that there are going to be some people that doesn't know God as well, and therefore not as close to God. You following? If it really were about knowing, sorry, I'm just going to jump on this, right? Parentheses. Open it. But if it really was about knowing, then why does our world stink? Like, I mean, we've been, we've, we've been doing this for a long time, right? And now, now, now some of us in here are the next generation, and some of us probably think in this room, they're like, hey, it's about knowing. But like, if it really were about knowing, I, f- I feel like the past generation would have gotten it. But here's what's going to happen. We're going to go through this cycle over and over again. And we're going to like, hey, we found our new things. We found our new things, right? Right? Reddit has nothing on Jesus. But for Jesus, well, I think what this tells us is that it's not about how much we know or about how much we ascend, but the fact that he has descended. And that knowing God is about the fact that God comes to you because you couldn't know enough. I couldn't know enough. We couldn't know enough. We couldn't do enough. God brings you into relationship with his son. Do you notice that about salvation? <laughs> that it's, it's never been about what you could do. He came because you couldn't do enough. The you're saved is because God sent his son, his only son, to give his life for you. God had to come down because you couldn't ascend. And so Jesus' offer to quench your thirst is a picture of salvation. And not just salvation, but also about living, sustaining the Christian life. The way you get in is the way you keep going, right? Jesus is not like the VIP pass, but he's like, he's the actual party. You know what I'm saying? That's club language for you clubbers out here. But it hints at John 15 and 16 where he's going to talk about abiding in him in the role of the Spirit. I guess I just got to apologize for service. Like, I wasn't this awake, so I feel like I have more jokes um, but like I wasn't, I wasn't this awake, so they kind of got like, you know, anyways. But the big key here is that your life as a Christian is not started, it's not just started by Jesus, but it's also upheld. It's upheld by Jesus. It's not, it's not even by your faith, because your faith is a gift to you. It's upheld by Jesus. And notice he says, hey, come to me, and I'll give you a drink, and then keep coming to me, and I'll keep giving you a drink. No, he's like, I will put the bubbling brook in you, my man or girl. I will put the life in you, and it'll constantly create filter water that 3M can't touch. And so Jesus' statement is a bit of a shock to the system, to every single Jewish person there, because all they've ever known 
about God is that it's all about their obedience to the law. It's all been about them. It's all about, it's about whether or not they can ascend, right? And I think it's a bit of a shock maybe to people in this room. I don't know how you grew up. I didn't grow up in church, so I really love Jesus, right? But like, but maybe for you guys who grew up in church, like maybe you might be hearing the sermons wrong in a sense, in a sense that you think, oh, I, I've got to know this thing well. It's really dependent on my, my devotion time and how much I'm studying, how much I go to the HLI seminars and all these different things. And maybe it's just really dependent on me. But it's really about what Jesus does. And so it's moments like this where Jesus is revealing who he is and what God is doing, and he helps us see what God was doing in the past and how his coming brings clarity and completion to what God was and is doing. And when that happens, there's growing clarity. And that's in verses 40 through 44. Let's look at it. It says, when, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said? that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, uh, the village where David was. So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So a couple of things. One of the things I think you should probably notice throughout chapter 7 is that there's, there was a growing divide, right? In the beginning, they were kind of like, who is Jesus? And they, like, they think, oh, I don't know, he's kind, of, he's kind of weird. But now they're like really entertaining the idea of who he is. And so the Pharisees, they sent some officers, a previous set of verses, not the verses that we're talking about today, but the ones that Chris preached on last week. So go check that sermon out. It's actually really good. I was listening to it on Monday. Um, but he was, he, they sent some officers, and, and what's amazing is that Jesus causes everyone to really reflect on who he is by what he is doing or what he is saying. So that's something, that's something really interesting about Jesus. He just like says these one-liners, and you're like, whoa, that was like deep. And so he he doesn't just create divide, he, he creates a reflection on the scriptures. Something about Jesus that just makes you look back and like, whoa, what, like, what, that's not how I thought about it. And so quick application, I think that should be true of us as well when we read the scriptures, that Jesus really should change the way we look at the scriptures, right? All that he's done, all, all who he is, should alter the way we look at the scriptures, right? So every time we're reading the Old Testament, and, and this is a part where Chris is like, he's going to say the same thing. I'm saying, and he didn't pay me to say this, but like every time you read the Old Testament, you should be looking like, where do I see Christ in this text? Where do I see him? How, how does this point me to him? And so back in the text, they're wondering who is Jesus, and one of, some of them are like, hey, he's a prophet, right? Like, he's a prophet, and, and this, is, this is kind of why, right? Because Deuteronomy 18, uh, 15 and 18 says this, uh, Moses says this to the people of Israel, that uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but one He's going to be, uh, rise a prophet just like me, and he says, listen to him. He says, listen to him. Some think this is the Christ, and that's in verse 41, and the idea that he's the Savior of the world, he's God's promised one to send. And the question is like, okay, which one is it? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. But what's interesting is that they start wrestling they start wrestling with who Jesus is by using the scriptures. And you see that in the second half of verses 41 through 43. They start looking back at the scriptures and like, hey, is, is this, does this match up? Does this line up here? You know, this, is this, like, is my calculating working? They didn't have calculators back then. Just trying to relate. And they, and they almost kind of get it because Jesus like looks like everything the scriptures point to. Everything that's in their noggin, they're like, wow, like he looks a lot like the Messiah. But here's the thing about them they're not quite there yet. Like, they're, they're so close. And here's why. Because they're using the Scriptures to interpret Jesus when really they should be using Jesus to interpret the Scriptures. You follow that? They're using the Scriptures to judge and interpret Jesus and really they should be using Jesus to judge and, and interpret the Scriptures. Right? So rule number one about a prophet, you know he's a prophet if what he says comes true. So like, if you kill the guy too early, how are you going to know? right? But if you wait, you might, like, see. And here's the thing, like, sometimes that could be a long time. Like, go read Isaiah, that's, or uh, Jeremiah. Man, homeboy went through a lot. There's a lot of waiting. Is anything I'm going to say comes true? That's why he was called the weeping prophet. And so it's not going to be clear to them unless Jesus dies on a cross and resurrects. And that's the irony. Not necessarily that they killed him too early, but they killed, they killed him, and that's what brought the clarity. 
So it's not going to be clear until Jesus dies, he rises, and he sends the Spirit, right? Because the Spirit's role is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and, and the judgment. And so there's some growing clarity and quick application, really quick, right? So notice it's, I mean, I, I call this growing clarity, but notice that it's not about the complete clarity. It's not about the complete clarity that, that determines whether they are in relationship with God, right? And this should be good news to, like, us in our generation, right? Because, like, man, some of us are, like, pouring over Reddit like it's nobody's business, right? You, you can't use Wikipedia because we all know Wikipedia is not credible. It's a good starting point, though. Am I right? But, but in our culture right now, the ailment of our culture is that we're supposed to completely understand something. And if we do, then we're an expert. But here's why, here's why that's silly. Because life tells you that, like, you can't be an expert without having an experience in it. Like, you can't just, like, read some things and just think, okay, I, I'm an expert. I know it all right? It just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. But notice this, this, this difference, right? Knowing Christ in relationship with God is not about expertise. So going back to this ascend idea, how much you know does not determine how much God loves you. Knowing God, how much you know doesn't determine how close, or even if you're in relationship with God, right? Knowing Christ is about growing in clarity. And growing in clarity is, part of it is knowing, right? Part of it is reading, but it's not the complete thing. Christianity is about growing in your understanding of Jesus. Not so that it could stop here, but it could land here. Many parables in the Gospels about the heart and about what the seed does in the heart, how it germinates there. And so Jesus is the one that gives clarity. And it's not primarily by research. It's because he himself clarifies the scriptures. So it's not about knowing. It's not about your research. It's about him. Jesus even tells the Pharisees in, in Matthew, or sorry, in John 5, 39 through 40, he says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Sometimes I feel like that's what people in Christianity do today. We read the scriptures because we think, oh, as, as much as I'm in here, as long as I'm in here, I will have eternal life. But Jesus says, and it's they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. <laughs> And so one of the things you'll see throughout John is there's this, there's, there's this growing clarity in people and the disciples. The more they're with them, the more they know, right? And the same themes are brought up, right? But you should hear that. When you read the scriptures, go to Jesus. Look at him. It's, it's not going to be up here, um, but 2 Corinthians 3 says this, that like we are transformed from one degree of glory to the other by beholding. Beholding is looking the glory of God. The glory of God is Jesus so when we read scriptures, we should look off the scriptures in a sense and, and look at his face and behold him. And what's crazy is that's, that, that's what changes us. Notice what changed the disciples is the fact that they were with him for three years. He still didn't get it. But they were changed forever. And God used them to change the world, so to speak. So what you see about Jesus and his claims is that it creates a division because you have to come to terms with who Jesus is. You can't, you can't, like, look at Jesus and read the pages of Scripture and think, ah, I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I'm neutral. I can, I can go for him sometimes. I can not go for him sometimes. No. Like, you've got to make a decision. And he doesn't just create a division. He creates a right division, not just simply whether or not you would accept him, but how you make that decision, actually. Right? So there's a division on how do you make that decision on whether or not you're going to accept Christ or not. Right? Believer, non-believer, that's, that's a question for both of us. And at some point... You, you stop looking at the scriptures and you start looking at him and you let him define everything. The Messiah, who the Messiah is, what he looks like. No one would have guessed that Jesus was the Messiah until he died. <clears throat> and so at some point, you have to stop looking at the scriptures. You have to look up at Jesus. And the division now is really who is Jesus and not just simply if we're going to accept him, but like, how are we going to do this? And what's interesting is some people look at the scriptures as the standard of what Jesus is doing while other look at, they look at Jesus and they're starting to rethink about the scriptures. It's amazing. And so what he does is he fulfills everything the Old Testament says. Some of them are like, hey, he, like, he, comes, from, he comes from Galilee. He can't be the dude. But like, like, I mean, especially for us, right? Like we know just by reading the scriptures and we hear about it every Christmas because like you're like, you're, you're just, you're gonna hear it because Christmas is about Jesus. We learn that he's from Bethlehem, right? But like, but in their time, they start realizing that Jesus this Jesus that died is the guy that came from Bethlehem. So he, he is the son of David, even though that looks a little bit different, right? Nobody would have guessed that Jesus 
is the son of David because he came from a woman who like was a virgin when she was married, or she was pregnant and she was a virgin. Don't know how that works. God does, apparently. But he came from her. And that just, it, says, it seems like that says a lot of wrong things about Jesus. But Jesus clarifies the scriptures. And so the irony is that that statement behind the statement of them asking questions, the way they're looking at Jesus, it's as if they're judges, actually. You notice that? They're, they're, kind, they're, they're kind of judging. They're sitting as judge whether or not Jesus is the one who is, who is, who is the Messiah, right? As if they, those, the ones that are judging are the ones who have the law, right? And so for them, they're judging the way God moves and works in the world, right? If it doesn't match the way I think about the Scriptures, then it can't be God's work. Man, we got to be careful because sometimes we do that, right? And so some, some of the things that can happen, I think, in just in application of us, right? Like, they're using the Scriptures to judge Jesus, and really they should be letting Jesus judge the Scriptures. And sometimes we can do that. Sometimes we, we've kind of like, we're camping out and like the foundations we created ourselves rather than letting Jesus be the foundation. If you look at the first century, all theology comes from the fact of who the Son of God is, right? The thing they wrestle with the most, who is Jesus? Because if he's not the Son of God, this is a different gospel. So you've got to look at Jesus through the Scriptures. We can't be judged. We've got to let him be judge. We've got to let him sit as judge over the Scriptures and over us. He's the creator of facts. We're just the receivers of them. He's the interpreter. We're the learners. What's also interesting is that the spiritual leaders, the Pharisees, they, they act as judges, as interpreters of the law, and they put themselves in the place of judge of Jesus and ultimately God. And some of that's right. They are the shepherds. They are the spiritual leaders, right? But here's the thing. This, is not a, this isn't just a, a discussion now between who, if Jesus or the Scriptures are the standard. For them, it's really, it's really if they are the standard or if the Scriptures are the standard. This is what we see in this last point, the deceived. Look at me at verses 45 through 52. It says, The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So we just talked about a little bit about the standard, right, for understanding the Scriptures. We're supposed to put Christ up as the standard, as the clarifier of the Scriptures. But there's a little bit of a contrast, just like I said, the standard versus the standard of self versus the law, right? And so in verses 45 and 46... They're questioning the officers about why they didn't grab him. Like, why, why didn't you just arrest him? Makes sense that you should do that. But then, but then they call him deceived because they're, they're in awe. They're, they're amazed at, at what Jesus was saying. And so Nicodemus steps in. He's like, he looks at the law and says, hey, there's a, doesn't our law like kind of give the dude some space and listens to him? Doesn't our law just kind of like listen to all the kind of witnesses? You see that in verses 50 and 51. But notice that what the Pharisees use as their standard. They, they simply say, hey, do any of the authorities or us, do you see us following him? If we're not following him, then should you be following him? And this is, this is where they're getting in trouble, right? They, they think they are the standard. Even though they think they're looking at the law and trying to interpret it rightly, they think we're the one who know. Meaning that no one can supersede us. And so what's, what's going on with them is they're reading the law wrong. I think what's interesting is that Nicodemus says, our law, <laughs> as, if, as if they're the ones who put pen to stone. Doesn't make sense. Um, carved into stone, right? But it's, it's God's law. He gave it. He, he wrote it in a sense. Like, he gave them the law. It comes from him. It's his. And so the Pharisees, even Nicodemus, even though, even though Nicodemus is trying to help, they're kind of reading the law, the law wrong. They think it's, they think it's theirs. Nicodemus is on his way to seeing Jesus clearly, but man, these Pharisees are blind. And so by using themselves as the standard, they, they've put themselves over the law as judge. And not just simply as judge, but now, now God. And what, 
They sit over God now. And so when really it's, it's really God's law. It's, it's his. So the law, the, the law is meant to point to something greater. And if they had sensed the scriptures, if they were reading it rightly, they would notice that, that the law, just like Galatians 3 says, is kind of, it, it holds them captive. It's kind of like, anybody ever been babysat before? Before, ever? Yeah? Okay. We're not on raising hen terms. Okay, that's fine. We'll get there. Um, we'll be friends. Facebook first. Um, but like, like when you're babysitting, you know that like they're watching you and you're like, this is torture until like my parents come home and then I'm really going to live, right? Then I'm really going to live. But like this babysitter, like they're, they're kind of like holding me in check until they come in. And really, this is a side note, right? Depends on what kind of babysitter you have, right? If they're like, if they're, if they're a rookie, you know that you can run them, right? But if they're like, <laughs> you're not, I'm not wrong, right? But, um, but, but if they're experienced, you're like, man, they're like worse than my parents, they actually like fall to a T, and then you, the parents come with grace. And so the, ma- the law is meant to point to something greater and something more full and complete. And so if, if they were reading the law rightly, they would know that the law sits over them as standard. And really what's happening here is they're, because they think they're over the law, really they're the blind ones. They're blind to what the law is pointing to. The irony here is that it's not the officers or the crowds that's blind, but it's, uh, it's really them. It's really them that's blind. So there's a little bit of a warning here, right? Nicodemus is saying, hey, guys, let's let the law sit as judge and let's kind of step out of the way, right? But if they were to look at the law rightly, they would see that the law points to Christ. I mean, if you just, if you had no New Testament, all you did was read the Old Testament over and over again, it wouldn't take for you, it wouldn't take long for you to just start to get frustrated because you're like, there's no way I can do this. There's no way I can obey this. Like, this is too heavy, for example, me and my wife, we were reading uh, Leviticus 16 a couple of days ago, and I just kept he- seeing unclean, 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 unclean. And, and it's, I'm like, why, why is this, like, how does this point to Christ? How in the world am I going to find Jesus in this desert of a law? And all of a sudden, it kind of hits me. It's like, oh, I'm not, just, I'm not just simply a sinner because I'm wicked, because I do bad things. I'm a sinner because I'm unclean, I'm unholy. And all these sacrifices are there to kind of make me holy. And I have to keep doing these sacrifices over and over and over and over and over again. And like, man, when is someone just going to do this once and for all? Who is that? Jesus. He, be- he becomes unclean for me so that I might be clean and be able to stand next to the Father. So there's a little bit of a warning here, right? To let the law do its work. Because if we let the law do its work, then it would point us to Jesus. Because if we really read the law and really sit down and think, can I really do this? You would say, I can't. And then you would say, I need a Savior. And who's going to save me? And so it's pointing to Jesus as the interpreter and the one who comes down to bring us to God. And so the law, if we read it rightly, it demands that we look elsewhere. It demands before Christ comes that we look at God who's constantly providing us. Don't you see that in the Old Testament? That like he, he's providing the sacrifices. He makes a way for them to be connected with them even though it's incomplete. And then he sends his son who is the perfect obeyer of the law for us. So sometimes I think the way Christians read their Bible, sometimes, and I'm not trying to like, like jump on you about this, just like I think we can learn about this from this, okay? But I think sometimes Christians read the Bible as if their understanding and the right interpretation depends on them. As if, if I just put in more hours, if I just know more Greek, if I just know more Hebrew, if I just read this extra commentary, man, I'm going to have like this major revolution in my mind and it's going to be like awesome. And I'm not like downplaying Greek and Hebrew. It's helpful. You should know those things. You should go to HLI promo hint, like go to the next HLI seminar, right? What's the next one? <laughs> Sorry. Um, but like you should learn, right? I'm not saying don't be diligent study of the word, but if you don't let Christ be the main interpreter of the scriptures, if we don't look at him and let him define how we understand him and even Christianity, then we will be the deceived ones. At some point, we'll think, oh, it's really about this civic law. It's really about, it's really about like, I've got to go back to like cutting my hair with like curls or something. I've got, got to go back to growing my beard. Side note, I'm not growing my beard because I think, I think it makes me more Jewish. I just like it. But we, we feel like, I mean, we get so sidetracked sometimes. We think, oh, it's about the end times. It's, it's, about, it's about this particular thing. It's only about the fruit of the Spirit. It's about the gifts of the Spirit. It's about, it's about look at Christ and let him define how you see everything. 
is a reason why God points to the Son. It says he's the image of the invisible God, the exact imprint of his nature. That's Hebrews 1. And it says in the past, in Hebrews 1, it says God spoke by the prophets, but now he has spoken by his Son. And Jesus is the last word. There's no more word besides Jesus. That's why I preach the gospel every Sunday. And so, last thing, what about the Pharisees, right? It sounds like I'm dogging on them, and I am. But like, what about them? Because they're supposed to be a spiritual leaders, right? And there's a connection. There's a connection to spiritual leaders today, pastors, right? So what about them, right? Well, they were meant to be stewards of God's law, not owners of it. Not sit over it, stewards. And this is where Christ clears things up for us, especially as, as pastors, right? One of the beautiful things about Hiawatha's elders is that they know that Jesus is the chief shepherd, they're an under-shepherd, and so now they know that their message is to proclaim his message, just like Jesus showed us. Right, you notice that Jesus proclaims his father's message. Now we proclaim Jesus' message. We proclaim Jesus because we're heralds, not owners, not judges. And it causes us to be really gracious. It causes us, it causes us to remember that we are broken without Jesus, that we're just like the Pharisees if Jesus doesn't step in. It causes us to remember that we would be easily deceived unless we look at Jesus' face and learn from him. And so what the gospel makes clear for us is that Jesus' call to come and drink from him is, is a call to not only find life in him, but also to come and let go of our need to sit as judge. Not just over the scriptures, but over all of life. It frees us of the need to have to judge other people and to judge whether or not people are doing it right or wrong, right? I mean, we want to look at Christ and we want to walk with Christ, but we want to, by his spirit, let him correct us. It's an invitation to let him be a better judge than we could ever be. You notice that Jesus is a better judge. He's the only judge that's willing to give you a cup of water while you're being tried in court and then say, hey, I died for this one. He's the only judge that gives mercy in the middle of a court case and actually dies for you. I know no judge like that, ever. The gospel reveals Jesus as the prophet God has sent that speaks God's words. He's the Messiah that offers himself as a drink that quenches our thirst. And he's the one who opens our eyes so that we are not the deceived ones about who God is. But he clarifies who he is. A couple of questions for you guys to reflect on this week. <clears throat> you can. It's your freedom. You can do it if you want to. You don't have to. First one. Whoa. Sorry. Okay. How is it better news that Jesus descended and came to you rather than expecting you to ascend and come to him? Why is that good news? That he came to you rather than expecting you come to him. Next one. In what ways do you point to yourself as a standard rather than pointing to Jesus as the standard? Why is it good news that Jesus is the standard for understanding the scriptures? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you are the standard. And uh, thank you that your love for us is, uh, is not de dependent on us. It's a dependent on you. It's dependent on what you've done for us. Thank you for offering water. And offering water in a way where, um, I mean, it would, it would be great. It would be great news if we just kept coming to you. But but you, off, you give us water by, you offer us this water by saying, hey, I will not only give you a drink of water, but this drink will, will not only satisfy you, but it will constantly put life in you so that I'm always with you. Jesus, thank you so much that we don't have to be experts. Help us to, to redefine how we, how we look at knowledge, our use for it, uh, how, how, we, how we engage it, even when it's not even about the Bible, when we look at life, help us, help us to look at life through your eyes and then therefore see you clearly and let it cause us to want to worship you because of it. To really be in awe of your love towards us, to be really in awe of who you are, help us to see ourselves rightly, that we might know how to respond the way we ought to. Help us to know that we're free from having to depend on our response to you and really be dependent on your ability to hold us. In your name I pray. Amen.